vessels within vessels the ark inside the seed this human incarnation the only vessel that you need so we're recording how's it feel uh cool (laughs) (laughs) all right Welcome, Yoni Zilber. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yoni is a tattooist, a painter, an artist, a dad, all-around cool dude. What else? I know. I mean, my wife owned a restaurant. Uh, what is it called? Juice Organic, J-U-S. Uh, it's in Atlantic Highlands. Um, veggie, vegan, breakfast, lunch best around (laughs) nice i used to own a vegan restaurant in in red bank and that's how i met ming what up ming i always give shout outs to ming and um uh and his podcast studio which is helping me um live my creative dreams they're amazing it's I, i always think it's very crazy how small world is that area of new jersey is like Almost everybody know everybody. And I didn't, I'm, you know, I moved from New York to New Jersey, so I'm not a New Jersey person yet. I'm still eight years here, so I'm going to be probably in two years. But uh, I know so many people here that it's crazy. And it's like, it's such a small circle almost. It really is. And I feel like in the circle that like we're a part of, meaning Mm -hmm. you and I, it's not just it's a couple different cross sections yeah, where yeah, it's yeah. not just tattooists. Yeah. It's also food stuff too. Mm-hmm. And then music stuff. Yeah. Like we're all sort of in the little, I love that. I love yeah. that it's a little microcosm. I, I always say that if people compare New Jersey to New York, I always say New Jersey is not jaded yet. You know, like you still have cool stuff. People are excited about stuff. Like you go to shows, it's like, older people with excitement to go to a show. It's not like in New York, you're like, ah, oh, whatever, you know, and it's not like, it's it's still I think it's still cool here, you know, like to do stuff like that. You know. I do too. So getting into your work, I guess we should start at the beginning. Um, in the research of your work and your the history of your work, I listened to a few podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, that podcast with Nick is fucking sick. It was yeah, so good to amazing. listen to you guys rap on mm-hmm. and on. Just it felt so conversational and cool. Yeah, because him, I forget that we're recording, you know, because <laughs> we are friends, so it's nice to talk to him anyway. And just like, is we, his setup this, but similar, no yeah. mics? Uh, it's yeah, just no, like no an headphones, open mic. It's just like uh, like that with no headphones, and he just very casual, you know, like yeah. we just hang out and talk smoking and fucking yeah, smoking. The last one I shouldn't smoke, because <laughs> when I smoke, I get like quiet a little bit you know like i'm getting into myself do you more. get paranoid when you smoke weed not not paranoid but i just don't in like i don't talk so much you know i'm just kind of like getting quieter definitely doesn't yeah. lend itself to a podcast yeah if you no get and i told it. him maybe i shouldn't smoke like oh this is just hang out feel free to whatever i'm like <laughs> all right <laughs> um so i guess you know i'm i want to start at the beginning um so tell me a little bit about you know, like the early tattoo years, you can go as deep as you want about, you know, your history and mm-hmm. who, where you, um, where you started, okay. you know? I, I can start, I tell you, honestly, it's funny because me and my daughters, I have a 10 year old and a seven year old and I just YouTube this show that I used to uh, watch when I was a kid. 
it's uh, I was 10 years old, nine years old, and it was a TV show called Marco. It's a, it's a Spanish show, actually, that's played in Israel. It's about a kid, which probably was my age at the time, nine or something, that his mom moved away to a different country. He, he's from Italy, and his mom moved to Argentina to work, and he, he ran out of the house and traveled the world to find his mom when he was 10 years old by himself, you know, on boats and stuff. And, and the whole show is based around his, him traveling the world and all his ex experience and stuff. So for me, that show really impacted me. Like I saw it and I was like, I want to be like that kid. You know, it was an anima animation show. But so for me, traveling and seeing the world was ingrained in me in a very, very small young age because of that show. And then one day I went on the beach and I saw this, and I got tattooed when I was younger, you know, like, um, it's funny, I thought I'm going to hide it from my parents. And I went, when I was 14, I went and got a tattoo in Tel Aviv, in Israel, and I had it on my upper arm. And I said, I'm just never going to take my shirt off, you know, in front of my parents, and they're never going to see it. But I showed it to my friends, my friend told to his mom, his mom called my mom, and then my secret was out. But anyway. In one day. Yeah, yeah. First I day it. I got a tattoo. I yeah. In my in my head, I'm like they never. Such fucking yeah. Idiots. In my head, my parents <laughs> would never see it. They, she knew about it the first day, but back then there was no laser or anything, and my mom made an appointment for a surgery to get to remove it. You know, of course I didn't go to the appointment, but anyway, I was very young looking when I was 14. I was young already, but I looked like I was probably 10 year old. You know, you're was, young looking now. How old yeah, are you? 45. Yeah, so you're yeah. older than me, and I feel like you look younger than me. <laughs> I guess so. Um, but when I walked on, I, w I was very short too. So I was, um, I was walking on the beach with no shirt on showing off my tattoo, you know, in cool Israel guy. back then, age of 14 with a tattoo, you, you don't see tattoos on the street much, you know, like back then it's very, there was maybe three tattoo shops in all of Israel. So I walked on the beach and I saw this old man fully covered with tattoos. And he screamed at me. He's like, hey, what, you, what is that? Why do you have a tattoo? Because he got upset that I'm a young kid with a tattoo already. Because I'm not supposed to have one. So I talked to him and he, he saw that, I'm, you know, we just start a conversation and he showed me all his tattoos. And every tattoo he had was from different country in the world. So China, cool. Hawaii, everywhere. And he had like, you know, Sailor Jerry tattoos on him. He had like really, I didn't know the names back then, but he told me the signatures of the artist the date and the country he got it in every tattoo and it blew my mind i'm like wow this guy is a sailor actually the guy and i was like his name is sailor david mosco if anybody from israel here anyway now or, or old school tattooers will recognize that name but because he was tattooing in the 50s in israel he's probably the first israeli tattoo artist so me and him start talking and he told me all his travels and you know he's just like an old man talking to a little kid but for me he didn't even know the traveling part was again hit me. I'm like, wow, this is my opportunity. I can get tattooed and that's going to be my traveling. I'm going to travel the world and get tattooed in every country I go. And that's going to, you know, kill two birds in one shot, you know, like travel the world and do what gets tattoos that I love, you know. So that's definitely ignite me of like pursuing tattooing because I, I just thought it's going to be the best profession for me to do that I can just keep traveling and, and do stuff, you know. So even on that age, when everybody asked me, what do you want to do? What do you want to do when you grow up? You know, family, cousins, uncles, whatever. I'm like, I'm going to be a tattoo artist. And they're all like making fun of me. Like, all right, what are your real job going to be? Like, <laughs> not a hobby. I'm like, no, no, no. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a tattoo artist. And I, I kept saying it for, for years. And in my head, I didn't think 
I'm maybe going to be a tattoo artist. I just knew it, you know, like that, that's what I'm going to be. So, you know, I guess the stars walked in my favor, you know. Do you remember the first tattoo you ever saw? Um, like what put the bug in your head? I think what put the bug in my head is a, a magazine I saw. I saw a magazine of New York art court bands agnostic front and murphy's laws i think i was about 12 at the time like madball black madball yeah yeah there was yeah. a, a old ma magazine about that hardcore music but it, that issue was about tattoos of the bands this is an you american know? magazine probably yes like my friend came from back from new york she right. was in new york her, her father is american oh, i remember you saying this on the yeah. other podcast yeah, yeah so she she just texted me actually a second ago but anyway <laughs> she she used to go to New York since a young age and come back to Israel. So she used to bring me stuff from New York and she bought me that magazine. She thought, because she saw me drawing all the time, she thought I'm going to be able to enjoy that art on the magazine. So look, she's barking on herself in the mirror. Her, my dog. Yeah. Yoni's dog is looking at itself in the mirror, barking at itself. She's like, Who's Who that? that dog? Who's that <laughs> Who is that you better dog? mean you better mean mug that bitch <laughs> get her look at how cute you are yeah she is cute come here baby so anyway uh so that magazine was kind of like what put a bug in me i think like i saw all those people covered with tattoos and and i just thought this is how i want to look like i want to be covered with tattoos and this is before i thought i'm going to be able to do it, it in, my, in my mind back then i didn't know i you can do it's it looks so foreign like alien you know like how can you do it that too i didn't even think about that part even though i was drawing and everything i didn't think about that part that i will be a tattoo artist i just wanted to be covered with tattoos um so that's what led me into tattoo shops and then once you get in tattoos and you start talking with the artists and stuff you realize oh it's kind of like me like we are he's skateboarding is this is this like if you do it maybe i can do it too you know and that's what kind of build up to it that and also the book The Alchemist got me into what I'm doing too. I, that's the first book I ever read is The Alchemist and uh, Paolo Coelho. And that book is, I recommend it to every young person who want to pursue a career is reading that book. It's a, it's, it was a big impact on me as, as a kid. Um, yeah, and since then, you know, just start hanging out in tattoo shops, you know, and being like that kid that all the employees making fun of, like, why I'm sitting there all day without just, like, like it's in a shop, like, it's sunny outside, everybody's outside skateboarding. I mean, my age, I should have just go and play and go to the pool or the beach or surfing or something. I'm not. I'm just sitting and looking at the walls in a tattoo shop. That's what I did all day long. When you were a kid and you started drawing, how old were you when you started drawing? Uh, I think as young as I remember myself, I used to draw. I always was drawing since I was probably the first memory, probably like three. pictures of the sea, faces, anything, or is there? No, I actually I used to. I grew up with horses, so I used to draw horses all the time. Uh, horses, and then uh, I remember when the what it's called, the Guns N' Roses, uh, Appetite for Destruction came out. That album cover blew my mind. You know, it's Robert Williams. That's when I got introduced to him. And I started researching Robert Williams and and his drawings. What what I really copied all the time. I just got a Robert like the Appetite for Destruction cover album covered. I think my parents are not so smart, so they threw away everything I drew when I was a kid. I don't I don't have memories or drawing or stuff, but but I know that I drew that album cover maybe a hundred times. You know, like just keep drawing it, keep drawing it, keep drawing it. 
because I just loved it so much. So I think it's what taught me to look at things and just reproduce them, you know, and draw them since young age. I remember in school, I used to draw on kids with Sharpies, you know, like tattoos, you know. So my parents, used, the, their parents used to call my parents and complain. I used the, to ask uh, all of my artist friends to draw all over my jeans. Yeah. Uh, all over my shoes. Yeah. No, I, yeah. Israel is very conservative in tattooing back, mostly back then. Today is different. Today, if a kid, 20 years old kid in Israel would never understand that it was taboo to get a tattoo in Israel. Now everybody has tattoos. It's, you know, every second store is a tattoo shop. But back then it wasn't a big thing, you know, like, uh, so even Sharpie tattoos, the parents will be flip out, like, you know, like, oh, <laughs> you bring in like, you know, they're religious or not religious, but they're not, supposed to draw on themselves you know so when you finally left i'm assuming so you started working in tel aviv how old were you when you started working at a tattoo shop so i joined the army when i was 17 and uh, that's compulsory right and yeah you have to do that like, but usually it's 18 years? three years but usually it's the age of 18 you join the army in israel but uh i was you know that's a longer story my childhood but i was i wasn't going to school I stopped going to school when I was 15. Um, I just on the streets, you know, uh, all this time. So by age of 17, my parents, like, since the age of 15, my parents were sending letters to the army of Israel to... Like, fucking take him. Yeah, just ta take him. He's on the streets all day. He doesn't <laughs> want to go to school. We don't know what to do with him. Just take him as soon as you can, that he can, we can get over that army part of his life, you know? So at the age of... I got approved to join the army at age of 17. Uh, and I was very young and, and pretty crazy kid in that age. So in the army, I started doing a lot of trouble too. I got in trouble, almost going to jail and all this stuff. And eventually... Just like in, fights? Drugs? No, just like doing crazy things like dyeing my hair red or or breaking things in the kitchen of the you know army base or... Just, so like oppositional stuff yeah like, like just being, yeah but it's not something you do as a soldier because in a school you can do stuff like this a teacher give you, uh, you know, slap on the slap, wrist yeah but in the army you go to jail for stuff like this so i after a while i realized i when i used to go on the weekends back home from the army base i used to go to the tattoo shops and i used to get tattooed or just hang out there and i realized i'm losing so much uh, precious time by being in the army because um, this is the time I want to be in tattoo shops and I, I really wanted not to be in the army anymore only because of that part. So my brothers were in the army before me and they told me the tricks to do to get out without too much trouble. So I was I actually was pretending I'm insane. I went insane in mental institute and stuff. So I was pretending like I'm talking to ants or just talking nonsense and just like talking about killing myself and stuff like this and Eventually, the army couldn't, you know, all the psychiatrists and stuff, they realized that I'm really not in a good place, even though I was, but I was acting. And I actually made my mom lie in a way to the psychiatrist and saying that I'm like that at home too, not only the army, you know, so they changed and my whole personality changed. So eventually they just, uh, this, you know, released me from mental issues, you know. Was there and, ever a time even like in the mental institute in uh in school at any point in your life where you didn't feel the need or 
requirement to make things like to draw or actually that was my only thing i wanted to do i wanted just to do drawing or art or tattoos i didn't care for anything else you know uh so you didn't go through like a dark night of the soul during that time like i don't even want to fucking do this no i i was determined since i think since the age of 12 or 13 i was determined and by the time i decided i want to be a tattoo artist it's the only thing I had in my mind. You know? What an amazing blessing that is to know is, at actually, such yeah. a young age to know with such conviction. Yeah. Even now when I go back to Israel and I see my friends from childhood, they themselves telling me, we can't believe this is, you are that you are. Like you always said it and you are one of what you said. They impressed because they used to hear my, me bambling, bam, you know, for them all day long. Like I'm going to be a tattoo artist, I'm going to be a tattoo artist. And they're all like, all right, whatever, you know. And nobody thought it can be a career or anything, you know. It's just such mm-hmm. a blessing to be so young and to just know with such conviction what you know you want, like why you were put here during this incarnation with mm-hmm. such conviction. Like, yeah. I know that this is why I'm here. Yeah, but if you, when you listen to my podcast with uh, Nick, uh, that story is, is almost like the stars align. To me, because that moment, you remember the story that I said I was in a I bar do. in Amsterdam and stuff. That moment was definitely someone was pulling the strings there, like like fate or whatever. Do you but believe in like God? I believe in energy. No, I don't not like Sky God. Daddy, but like that. No, there's I, something. I believe there's energy. Yes, something be- that's bigger than yeah. us yes. or something. Yes, I believe that you. It's almost magnetic fields. Almost you will, you will. The people you will meet in your life, the one that are very important to you they meant you meant to meet them you know somehow i can go in thailand or india and i'll meet a person just on the street and this is the person that i should have met that moment you know it's almost like it's almost like when you think about someone and they call you or text you right after that you thought about them it's the same thing it's almost like you put out there something you want and it will come to you i wonder that stuff all the time um you know the the feeling of uh thinking of someone you haven't thought of in a really long Mm -hmm. time like someone from high school or yeah. like, um, and then you run into them somewhere. Yeah. Um, this past summer, I was thinking about someone on the drive up to Rhode Island. I don't know if you know where Block Island is, but it's like mm-hmm. off, it's the archipelago that's like near like Martha's Vineyard, okay. but like out further east. And I was thinking of some, we're driving in the car, me and my assistant, and we're driving up there and I'm talking about a story that I've never told her before. Something that I just like haven't even thought of in probably 25 years telling her this story. And we get all the way, like from New Jersey, drive four hours, get on a ferry to this small island that's like maybe three square miles. You can't even, like you can bring cars, but only, you're only allowed 10 cars on the island every day. Mm Mm-hmm. And we get there, and the first person I run into is the person I was telling the story about. Yeah. It's There's crazy. just no way to like make that shit up. Yeah, it just happens. Yeah, and a, I remember when I had a dream one time that I woke up from the dream into the dream in reality. Like, <laughs> what I just dreamt. That's happened to me on drugs, but yeah. never. No, in a it's dream. happened to me in real life. I dream something. I, it's happened to me once, but I woke up, and this, exactly what happened in the dream happened to me throughout that day. It was pretty mind blowing. That is mind-blowing, and it's like, what a beautiful, like, little piece of, I don't know, is it like a little film was just peeled back just for the day for you, for whatever reason, and it's never like in those moments that we know with certainty what they mean, 
but hindsight, people say hindsight's always twenty twenty. Maybe, maybe not. But like, I prefer to believe that like that stuff gets uncovered in time. Yeah. And sometimes I'll look back on something that happened, you know, twenty years ago. Some weird experience like that like what does it all mean type of shit you know what does it all mean why did i why that person why this place why this song coming on at this time Mm -hmm. during a funeral all that Uh, shit like all of these like kind of what other people might call like a god shot type of moment or the universe fucking whatever um it's funny to say that song because it's happened in songs too and i was like why numbers too sometimes for me yeah um and like i'm not trying to get all like lewis farrakhan fucking Mm -hmm. numerology shit but like once in a while numbers will come up and i'm just like what the fuck man it's so weird Mm -hmm. um or even something as simple as you're talking to somebody and you say the same exact thing at the same time yeah um it's almost like, I mean, I'm thinking about it, but I just thought about it now, maybe it's wrong, but it's almost <laughs> like Instagram, you know, or something. You look at a, you talk to, I talk with my wife about, oh, we need a ladder to fix the window in bed, you know, we're sleeping. And then the morning after, <laughs> I have ads on my Instagram for ladders. Some people say that's like so, the fucking man getting I, at you. I, 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 I know, know, that's dude. not, that's nothing spiritual. There's nothing spiritual <laughs> no. about that. That's, that's the man that's listening to our shit. Definitely, sure. yeah, but it's the same thing, but the world listening to our shit, you know, right, like, like, like the not universe, the phone, yeah, totally. The universe it's like so. the expanded version yeah. of that, the yeah. real version. Yeah, that's yeah. the real version. So for sure. And it, like, you know, as you get on to a certain, uh, like I, I hesitate to call it a wavelength, but I, I guess it is. It's mm-hmm. a vibe. Yeah. As soon as you're on a vibe and there's someone else or another, even some kind of, because I think some experiences that are in and of time have their own resonance. Yeah. And as soon as you're like on a certain vibration, you're like ready for it. Yeah. Like it's seeking, I think on some level, the the larger consciousness is is seeking it, those experiences or the creative ideas or another person or a whatever or a place even. Those things are all seeking us mm-hmm. in the kind of larger. Yeah, I, I see it also. I always afraid to say some stories like that because people think I'm like a crazy hippie or something. But I'm, I'm not. a crazy hippie, I think. I, I don't. I don't know if I'm a hippie, but I definitely believe in that energy and stuff. Energy and, man. And I and I have a lot of <laughs> stories with animals. Actually, that's pretty crazy. Like everywhere I go, I encounter a crazy animal that people that live in that place for years wouldn't see it, and I see it in the first day. You know, like everywhere I go, I went to Miami. I'm sitting in my friend's porch see two dolphins jumping outside and it's like oh it's crazy you see in the living room you see dolphins like what do you mean there's no dolphins here i'm like there is dolphins outside your house it's like i never seen dolphin i live here for 10 years i never seen a dolphin it's like i just saw two dolphins jumping outside like you motherfuckers like how can you see i went to kentucky i'm in my friend on the boat i see a bald eagle just diving into the water grab a fish and coming out I'm like did you see that he's like what that eagle just <laughs> what the fuck how did you see that stuff and then i surf in costa rica a whale just going right by me you know and then going away i see a huge turtle i always get encountered with like crazy beautiful stuff that I've, i feel like it's like that i was supposed to be there at that moment of course i have a, i have actually a quick story i tell you in in new york i don't know if i said it before about the um, uh, story that i was in new york adorn working and i was standing outside and 
and I see this, I hear that sound like, a, like almost like an helicopter sound, like, like this. And I'm looking in the road. I was smoking back then, so I smoke a cigarette outside. And it's 2nd Avenue and 3rd Street. It's like packed with cars and everywhere. And I see this huge, it looked like a bird in the beginning, but it was like a dragonfly. But it, for a minute, I thought it's a bird because it was very big. It was kind of like probably 20 feet away from me. So he descended and it was in like eye level with me. And he was standing in the middle of the road. And I was like, he was standing in the middle of the road. And I was like, um, wow, this is beautiful. It was a beautiful like dragonfly. And then a truck came and hit it. <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh man. So I, I, I ran to it and I protected it. It was in the middle of the road, second Avenue. I stopped all the traffic like a crazy person. I stopped. For anybody that's not from New York, it's New York adorned is like in a very, very busy spot. Yes. So I stopped all traffic, all cars, put my hands up. Nobody's crossing right now the road. And everybody's like beeping at me and stuff. And I, I told him not to drive. I went and got a big piece of cardboard because I was scared of it. It was a big dragonfly. It's like something you'll see in Amazon. It's not in New York. Yeah, these dragonflies in New York, but not that big. It was, I don't know about inches, but maybe 10 inches or, of dragonfly. So I got a piece of cardboard. I picked it up and I, it's dead. You know, it's just laying there. But it's so, so beautiful, so colorful. And I was my, the guys at the shop couldn't believe it's in New York. They thought it's probably rent from some sanctuary or something. You know, like a, probably someone was in his house because it wasn't look like, it looked very tropical, right? So I thought I'm going to give it to a taxidermist, you know, because it's so beautiful and they taxidermy it for me and I'll keep it. So I put it in the backyard on the table and I had to go back to a tattoo. I finished the tattoo, I go back out there and the dragonfly left. It wasn't there. And I thought, I thought the a squirrel or a rat took it, you know? So I was sitting there, I'm like, oh, I lost it, whatever. I leave the cigarette and then I hear that sound again. Like, and the dragonfly was standing on the, on the side there and he waited for me to come outside. outside. And the second I sat down, he flew third me and he was like about, you know, half a foot of my face and just staring at me for like a minute, just standing there and flying. And I was frozen because I was so scared of it. It's like a huge bug, but he just, he just staring into my eyes for like a minute. And then he just flew away. And I was like, okay, I'm not on drugs right Did now. Did you start crying? No, but I was pretty. You felt like I, you were going I, to? I felt like he stood and told me, thank you. That's what I, I know it sounds weird. And that does not and, sound weird to me. And, and, and maybe people not going to believe that it happened, but I didn't believe it happening when it's happening. You know, I'm like, is this, what's going on in here? Like, is this just a bug? How he, how he recognized me? And my, he saw my face, he know what I look like, I don't understand. I couldn't understand that. But, uh, he really waited for me to come out and he just, you came back, said, thank you. And just flew away and never seen him again. But I just think what happened, he probably got unconscious from the heat. And I, if I wouldn't pick him up, he would get smooshed under a truck, you know? So yeah, I guess I saved his life. But I just, I was, that's when I knew that, you know, everybody have conscience and I guess even a bug, you know? So that's one thing about cool about Buddhism. I'm not a Buddhist, but I'm very following about that thing that I don't kill. A, a, you know, okay, mosquito, I did kill, you know, <laughs> because I have kids, I have to. I have to protect my kids, but I really don't hurt any other animal ever, or that's why I don't eat meat. And uh, I just feel like it's too much conscious in those animals, the same as us, you know? Well, it's like the right, you know, like the right path, you know? Like, yeah. so, you know, the right action, right thought. Yeah, um, the, you know, I, I, I believe that uh, hundreds of years ago, eating meat was essential because there's not really much other things. So I do believe that, you know, we need to survive, but... Today, we have so many other options. You can just avoid the meat, you know? 
I agree. Yeah. Um, are you totally vegan? No, I can I can get rid of the eggs thing. You I know? can't get rid of the cheese thing. Eggs and cheese, it's hard for me. My daughter is vegan now, so it's making us eat a lot of vegan food. The 10-year-old? Because, yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's very strict, too. She's one of those kind of like everywhere we go, she read the ingredients or stuff. She's that girl now, but it's fine. But it's making us eat more vegan food because instead of cooking two different dinners or breakfast, we just eat vegan now. Totally. Uh, because of her. Uh, so I'm okay with it. Uh, I so we eat less eggs, less cheese, and all this stuff. But I still, and it's really and and the sushi part too. It's hard for me too the the fish. But um, what's your favorite yeah. sushi place in New York? In New York, Takachi on Avenue A and Sixth Street. It's been there for thirty or yeah, forty years. Thirty that's years. My I think. office used to be right there. Yeah, the be- that's, for me, it's the best sushi. But. My office was Avenue A on uh, by by the park. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, now that we kind of got talking about, um, I'm going to start over. Now that we got talking about the idea of energy and the universe and stuff, I love that story. I don't think it was too much at all. Yeah, yeah. And I think anyone who's listening, most people know, and I've said this before on the pod, and I say this all the time, like in my regular life, I believe in all of that interconnectedness Mm -hmm. and it started from i guess drug use Um, but then there was like this thing that comes through where i do believe in like that higher Mm -hmm. or larger if space is actually you know like space the physical space is even means anything but like that there's a consciousness in and outside of of me, of me what makes Melissa Melissa, yeah. what makes Yoni Yoni. Like we're, yes, we're vessels in this mm-hmm. lifetime. We're just a vessel holding yeah. the light. But that light is like a little piece mm-hmm. of something much, much more vast yeah. and large, something that I think humans just can't like yeah comprehend or whatever i guess if you do dmt or ayahuasca people get to levels of seeing stuff totally and i did i did dmt and i've i've done ayahuasca in ceremony and Mm -hmm. i think that it's important to if you have an inclination to honor that same thing with when we feel an inclination towards something, anything in our life, if it's not harming others or ourselves. Um, I'm getting lots of kisses from Yoni's dog. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's totally cool. Um, if as long as we, when we have those inclinations, I think it's so important to, to lean towards them mm-hmm. sometimes even to run towards them yeah. and say like, this is, you have to claim your shit. Yeah. And because that's like the highest self, it maybe not the Jungian idea of like the collective unconscious, something maybe even bigger than that, universal or something. But um, when we honor that, when we honor that calling or the mm-hmm. pulling towards it, we're like honoring that larger energy mm-hmm. because we're vibrating on where we, I, I'm doing air quotes, like a fucking loser like should be we're vibrating where we should because we're being our highest the highest version of ourselves or like doing the things we were put here for yeah maybe i don't know like this is all just i'm positing all of this stuff yeah 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 yeah. but um 
the reason why I started the podcast in general was like, there's, it's a trope now, like of asking somebody the whys of why they create. It's more like, I want to know the mechanics of it. We'll get into that in a little Mm -hmm. while of like, how did you get into tankas and where and with Mm -hmm. whom and all that and like the actual mechanics. But when you're talking about that larger thing of the the universal wisdom or whatever, Mm -hmm. like things making sense or something, when I think of creativity, I also think of a consciousness. Yeah that things come to us and we make kind of like a sacred vow, like that animism, like Mm -hmm. the old version of like pagan or the old ideas of ideas being people or or entities rather than, you know, like the wind gods or the, like something as simple as like, uh, you know, the wind horse and that, that horse carries through the wind. And, um, but I think of that as ideas too. Like when we're just sitting quietly with ourselves doodling and there's a reason why I doodle when I'm Mm -hmm. talking, it calms me, but also it's almost like automatic writing where Mm -hmm. I'll be like, my mind is elsewhere listening to something you're saying or something someone else is saying and something comes through. Sometimes it's just doodles though. (laughs) Cause I have like ADD. I feel like also, yeah, it's also our brain is working in in many levels, you know, like you're talking, so your brain working for the talking, then you have like one part of your brain want to do something else. So it's like, you need to accommodate that. So you're just doodling. And, you know, I feel like it's a good thing. It's a positive thing. I feel like it's like your muscle is working, you know? That's yeah. why I always say, like, a brain is a muscle like your arm muscle, you know? If you don't work it out or you don't use it, it will deteriorate, you know? And Or if you, and same thing, if you, if not just the muscular part of it, but if you are constantly leaning towards the shit that's, like, kind of low vibe or yeah. the stuff that are just, like, yeah. your character defects or all of this other shit, it's, yeah. like, it's that thing you feed. And those yeah, yeah. those muscles get stronger wherever you... I used to be kind of a hypochondria when I was a younger you know i used to go to the doctor in israel there's no problem going to the doctor anytime you want because it doesn't cost you anything so i used to go to the doctor once a week because i always thought i might have this i have that so and it's almost like you're feeding yourself that you're sick and you're really getting sick you know so it's like i learned to just be positive and think like yeah i'm 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 healthy and i'm great and really that's what it is like if it's a thing if you think about yeah the energy you put out yeah if you if you're being like a hater and thinking about just negative stuff you're gonna bring it on yourself you know so it's the same thing just be you know everybody using that pma thing but it's just it's it's a natural thing i don't have to say it to know it it's like it's come naturally just to be positive you know um bad brains was my son riley's first concert (laughs) it's fucking awesome it was outside of uh the Asbury Lanes, they did like a summer Yeah, that's concert. what I'm saying. If you grew up around Asbury, it's like you grew up around CBGB, you know? Like you yeah. have... you have. Um, I was only at CB's twice. Yeah. I was there. Actually, I got to be there. I had a, I actually had an art show in CBGB. I was part of it. So uh, cool. So I, I, lucky for me, I'm not that old, but I got to hang out in CBGB's a little bit. That was, that was cool. I like a lot of places in New York that are not around anymore, like yeah. Mars Bar, that if anybody knows, it's... Uh, it's like uh, you get you get like a you feel like you're a crackhead just walking in there. Yeah, you know? Mars Bar I was and, at a couple of times. I used to work at I used to bartend at the Wetlands. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, um, probably, I'm sure we have more mutual friends if I start throwing names. But we'll do it <laughs> after the podcast. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, as much as 
if you could like say gun to your head if somebody was like um tattooing or painting like would you ever choose do you think you'll ever choose mm, tattooing is easier for me because you have a subject you can work with you know like people tell you what to do it's easy and then so, it's just like done yeah You're like okay i did the line i did the shading i did the color can i tell a joke yeah of course all right. <laughs> no <laughs> all right so it's a joke that probably people heard it before or not but philip lou told me that joke he's like uh, philip lou is like michael jordan of tattooing and but anyway uh didn't guy, he do your back yes he did yeah. my back and legs he's, he's an amazing person but anyway I went to, he told me that joke when I, he tattooed me one time. This guy go to the doctor and said, uh, oh my, I have a headache. I don't know what to do. My brain is killing me. So the doctor told him, just leave your brain here. I'll, I'll fix it for you. Come back in a couple of weeks and pick it up. So the guy leave his brain and, you know, two weeks pass by, three weeks, a month, two months, four months. The guy never come back to pick up his brain. One day the doctor will go to the supermarket and he see the guy and he's like, hey man, you know, you left your brain in my clinic like four months ago. You should come pick it up. So the guy tell him, ah. I don't need it anymore. I'm a tattoo artist now. So, <laughs> <laughs> so with tattooing, it's kind of like you don't really need to use your brain. You kind of use your muscle memory and what a customer asks you to do. So I just follow whatever you tell me to do. And it's easier for me. With painting, you have to create more. You have to like, you need more, uh, like more balls in a way. Like you don't want to... It's like you can work on something for hours and ruin it in one second by a weird idea that you shove in there or something. So painting is harder to to create a concept, a composition, and and it's a flat. You know, it's easier to make a composition on the body because it's a round. It's like a tube. You know, so you can you don't see everything in one view, so it's easier. But to build a composition on something flat like a paper, it's way harder because you can see everything. You know, at once. Uh, with Tibetan art is also easier in a way than a regular painter because because I study traditional way I can't I create the composition I create some stuff of the background but I can't really create stuff in the main images you know because it's it's following some anatomy or or, or iconography that you don't want to change it's because it's a specific formula yeah, right and you don't want to mess with something that it's it's a, like let's say it's a goddess or or, or bodhisattva, like yeah, and someone, someone that they believe in it, or that's what they follow, and you don't want to change the eyes of it, or do four eyes instead of three. It's kind of cool, but I don't want to do it because it's it's somebody's uh, practice, you know. And it's not my art; it's Tibetan art. It's a Tibetan culture, so I I respect it in the highest way I can, you know, by just create my own composition for it and it's we start doing it easier because i mix it up and do some japanese kind of style looking things and all this stuff because there's no tibetan art in tattooing there's no tattooing in the culture of tibetan art you know there's no like old school tibetan people with tattoos they don't believe nobody drew tibetan art for tattoos there was you know in the, in the 80s there was a bob roberts or ed Hardy. yes they they used and eddie deutsch they used a lot of tibetan art so they were like the almost uh, the one to introduce it into tattooing more, uh, but I I think I just <laughs> went and studied uh, like properly that uh, it's almost like a natural way for me to do it. It's natural drawing, like it's easier for me to draw Tibetan style than anything else. Um, so and you get to draw horses. Yes, there's mules, horses in Tibetan art. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, Currently, I'm looking at a really beautiful. I guess this is the pre-painting, the drawing. Yeah, this is only uh, with the shading. I always say a lot of my art, a lot of my drawings are only lines and not much of fillers. And the the thing is with Tibetan, with any art, I think, the drawing is the hardest part for me. You know, like to to draw something is harder, I think, than to paint something. You know what I mean? Because to fill in colors... It's easy. It's not easy, but if you in three months you can learn to paint really well. You know, like if you go to class and you, the drawing is something you can learn in three months. That's a lifetime. You know, and that's why all my drawings are made out of lines because it's the most important part. You know, like if I fill in colors, I will take away from the line drawing and I'll take away from the drawing, and you're not gonna concentrate on my drawing much. You're gonna concentrate on the old painting, and what I'm trying to show you here is the qual- the the drawing part. That that's the hardest part to know is the drawing. Because if you take any Tibetan painting and you break it down to the drawing and try to take out the color from the painting and just look at the square inch in the painting and look at the, how they drew the leaf or the cloud or the whatever it is, the fabric, that's when you see the quality. That's when you see the, the level of the artist, you know? And well, you're fucking crushing it. I'm staring yeah. at this thing like... Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's mind most, blown. Everything I do in Tibetan art is definitely thanks to my teacher Pema Rinzing. He's in Brooklyn. He's a, a master Tibetan painter, and contemporary and traditional. But uh, he's I always said he's an amazing, amazing artist. But I think he's much better teacher even, and that's really amazing quality. Because is this he, the man you met at the Rubin? Yes, he's. Is that the first time you were ever at the Rubin? No, I went a few times before. But uh, this time uh, I went with my friend John Dix, and he's also a tattoo artist from Spain. And uh, me and him, uh, he came to visit me and I was about to leave. I, I told that story already, but I was about to leave to Nepal to study Tibetan art. That's what I decided to do. It's the same thing with tattooing. When I decide to do something, I go 100% on it. I, nev- I, I don't cut corners in anything I do in my life. I don't do FS things, you know, like uh, even... Even surfing, you know, like I started surfing when I was young and then I saw I can't put the effort to be a good surfer. So I, I kind of stopped doing it because I, I I hate doing something not all the way. Like if I'm surfing, I want to go every morning to the beach, you know, surf, or whatever, but I can't do it with my life. And uh, so, yeah, I don't do it probably at all. I didn't, I didn't surf for years, but I'm saying everything I do, I try to do it all the way, you know, it's uh, it's all or nothing, you know. So, I find myself doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, there's really only like one thing I've ever really been good at and it's cooking. Yeah. And that's just what I run towards, yeah. you know? And then um, that's other creative pursuits. Yeah. They're just like tertiary things that kind yeah. of fill my time and space um, that don't feel as black and white because they don't feel as, um, I'm not so convicted about yeah. it. Um, and I think it's also, I'm getting a little older, like and settling into, these are just the things I like, like I'm never going to draw the way you draw. I don't even have an interest in doing it, but I have such a deep reverence for it. Yeah. But to draw the way I draw, I think everybody can draw the way I draw. You just have to put the same time I put in it. Right. And I have no interest in doing that. If you, if you put the time of like I set for years, for hours every day and just on the floor drawing all day long and studying and studying and studying. 
So I think that's not like a, people say, oh, you're so talented. I'm like, I'm not sure it's talent. I think it's more like the, you know, determination. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to be good at it and now that's what I'm going to do. Now when I'm 45, I look at myself and I say, yeah, I'm 100% tattoo artist. That's who I am. That's, that's my personality. That's, that's my life. That's, that's me. I don't, I don't even call it work. I'm not, it's not my work. It's my life, tattooing. And I always see people that tell me, oh, yeah, I tattoo on the side and I do yoga teacher and I do this. I'm like, no, I don't. I, maybe you can. Maybe you're a much better person than me. But, but I don't see how it's possible. How can you be a tattoo artist and, and do this and do that? You know, like the, the point that I own a restaurant, I don't do much in it. My wife is the 100% run the restaurant. So it's, it's almost like it's tattooing takes too much time of my day to put it to anything else. Uh, but it's not something I did all the time. You know, like when I was in my 20s, I did Muay Thai for many years. Or I did uh, uh, a lot, trying to do a lot of other stuff too. But eventually it comes down to this is who I am now. You know, this is what I do. You know, I do it for, right now I'm 24 years doing tattoos. And uh, is it more? Yeah, I guess it's more years than, I, than I'm not doing tattoos, you know. So I'm definitely more of a tattoo artist than a yoni before tattooing. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, and and when I do tattoos, I uh, of course now I'm injured, so I'm not doing it. But when I'm tattooing, I'm tattooing all day long. I never had a four day week or five days. I always six days working. Sometimes I had five days if I've got you know do other stuff. But uh, or when I was studying Tibetan art, I had to do f five days instead of six. But. Um, and, so, I, and I don't see it as a hard work. People say you're a hardworking man. I'm like, I'd rather tattoo than not tattoo. Like if you tell me my days off are the hardest days in my, li in my life, you know, like that I don't have to tattoo or draw. That's harder for me than doing it. You my know? days off consist of this stuff that felt like when I talk about yeah. filling it in, it needs to be something creative. Yeah. Because the day-to-day the -day stuff, I struggle with. I struggle yeah. with the laundry and food shopping and being just a human. Yeah. I still do it. Yeah. I'm I'm a grown I'm an adult. Um, but the emptiness of the day without a creative thing threaded through it feels empty to me. Yeah. Um and you know, they say idle hands mm -hmm. are the devil's plaything. Like yeah. I that's how I feel when I have idle hands and I'm not working. Uh, cooking, it's it. Fe I feel restless. Yeah, feel imagine me now. Restless. I'm I'm injured now. Right. And people don't see me, but I'm I have a sling on my arm. I'm, I broke my shoulder, and it's my right arm. So of course the pain is horrible. But the hardest part is that I can't do anything. I can't draw. It's I never been since I was born. I don't think I ever been that kind of break of holding a pencil. You know, like I'm right, right now. I'm a month into my injury and I can still not hold anything with my right arm. So it's, uh, that's the torture here. But also I feel like it's, it's if it, I wouldn't break my shoulder, I would never know how is it not to draw or to tattoo for that long. You know what I mean? Like, like it's almost like, okay, I did everything in my life. I tattooed all my life, but it also there was one month in my life that I didn't do anything. Maybe I look at it that way, you know, like you only live once, so experience that too, you know, like not doing anything for one month that I never, not did you know like i always even when the quarantine happened with the pandemic i was like just drawing all day long painting drawing painting drawing painting drawing didn't do anything else so yeah it's uh it's weird now but you know soon i'll back i'll be back on it you know
It's funny how the, 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 it's funny to me that the hardest lessons are the ones we need so badly. Yeah. Um, I prefer to believe that the hardest lessons are growth only. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I was wondering when I see friends and I call them in the morning one day, like, oh, what are you doing today? Like, oh, no, I didn't think about it yet. And I was like, I'm never, how? I know. I'm in not my like head, I'm like, I'm like, how can you wake up in the morning and don't know what you're going to do today? I'm they always... either don't have kids. Yes, that's for sure. <laughs> but I'm like, I, I almost like, I don't know if I was jealous of it. Even when people go, let's go to the beach. My wife tell me, let's go to the beach. And I'm like, just go with the kids. Let me do my work. Because... I can't get myself to sit on the beach and look at the water, you know? That's like, the only place that I can... I can see the relaxation of the water and look and feel and listen to the waves, but... Turn off. Yeah. Because I grew up at the beach. Yeah. So it's like my... It feels very much in Me my too. heart. I grew up two blocks away from the water, right. but I never looked at it as like a place just to go and chill, you know? Like I... That's why I start surfing or when I, the Muay Thai that I start doing in Thailand is because my wife was sitting on the beach all day and I just needed to do something, you know? So I went and started doing Muay Thai because it's like the national sport there and it was easy just to get to do it. Um, and a lot of things, it's just like I need to do something. Like I, it's hard for me to sit and not do something, you know? Like I'll take like a sketchbook and I draw like that. like that or whatever, but uh, yeah. So... I would really like to get into talking about your later work mm -hmm. because I'm surrounded by this beautiful Tibetan art. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've been studying with a Tibetan uh, Buddhist teacher for a long time, probably 15 years. Yeah. Um, her name is Venerable Rubina um, and like studying through Tushita um, and I don't consider myself, like, I don't identify as, like, Buddhist. Yeah. But, like... I don't like labels anyway. <laughs> I I definitely feel a calling yeah. towards it. And I am a voracious, insatiable reader. Mm -hmm. So I want that knowledge. Like, I'm a knowledge seeker. I want to know. Yeah. Um, and if I ever have a question, I'll, like, email a like a Rinpoche mm -hmm. or like a, like if I really want to know something yeah. or I'll email Tushita or a yeah. painter or a, cause I just want to know. And it's not necessarily that I'm going to use it in my day to day life. Mm -hmm. It's just, I prefer that if I get the idea or that inspiration of even just wanting to know something, maybe not, it doesn't necessarily need to be an action yeah. right away, but just to have the knowledge. Yeah. Um, and it's just, your work is just so incredibly beautiful. It's breathtaking. Mm, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, so when you, so you were working as a tattooer for a pretty long time and then moved to New York mm -hmm. from Tel Aviv and we're working at Adorned. Yeah. Can you tell that story about, um, when you were walking down the street when and I'm, she stopped the car, yeah. that whole thing. Because yeah. I think that goes along with right place, right time. And yeah. so it's a beautiful story. It is. It is. It's uh, it's pretty crazy because uh, 
my uh, my friend, the girl who gave me the magazine, she, when she go to New York, she give me stuff. And one time she brought me a T-shirt from New York Adorned. Do too. you want to shout her out? I feel like... You... Mickey. Her name is Mickey Hi, Rudick. Mi- yeah, Hi, Mickey. Mickey. She's uh, my oldest friend. But uh, Mickey brought me a T-shirt one time from New York Adorned. And then when I started looking at the New York Adorned, I... Uh, I realized I, I saw, you know, Mike Ledger, Chris Garver and like all those big names in tattooing. And back in the 90s, they were like, you know, the masters, you know, like uh, the, the best. It's almost like I, I, I'm, I'm again giving reference for basketball, even though I don't watch basketball, but it's like the NBA of tattooing, you know, back then in New York Adorn. So when I used to go to New York as a tourist, I always kind of was in, almost intimidated walking into the shop because I think everyone was. Yeah, I was like it. I wasn't also the, the, the front desk people weren't the nicest back then. And also it was just like I, this I was, is in the late 90s. Yeah, I feel like the culture of tattooing back then yeah, was also a was, little yeah. like fuck off and yeah, die. Yeah, yeah, you have to be kind of in like or out thick skin to walk in there. But I just didn't feel um worthy almost you know like i'm just like a beginner i'm like i'm i'm not they they too good for me to me to even walk in there so i even stand outside and i sent a friend in to buy me a shirt you know because i'm like oh, i don't want to walk in there I'm, I'm i'm gonna make fun of me or something so anyway but it's always was like wow it's a dream that shop it's like it was like a dream not even i didn't think i was ever gonna walk there but just even to kind of get to see it more and all that stuff. So every time I come to New York, I wanted to see New York Adorn. It was one of my stops, you know. But anyway, one t- so one time I was hanging out, I think it was 99. I was in a bar in Manhattan. and That I w- is the year I graduated from high school. Oh, nice. <laughs> I wasn't that old too. I was... Uh, no, you're, uh, only, you're only five years older than yeah. me. Yeah. So 99, I was hanging out in a bar in Sidewalk Cafe in, in uh, Avenue A. Uh, that was my spot. Mickey was the bartender there, so that's why I was hanging out there all the time. And Jimmy Gestapo is the guy from Murphy's Law. He was sitting in a bar with me. And we start talking, and she introduced us because she knows him. And he's like, oh, she told him I'm learning to tattoo and all this stuff. Like, I'm a beginner, you know, just a young tattooer. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm opening a shop, you know. I'm opening a tattoo shop, you know. When I open, you can come work for me, you know. And I was like, what? I can work in New York? Like, really? And I was like, amazing. So he opened the shop, New York Hardcore. Him and uh, Vinny Stigma opened that. And so when I came next to New York, I think it was the same year, 99, I just went and walked there. I was a guest artist there. And I had a machine case, and I was all like, I looked like a tattoo artist, you know, back then. Long hair, tattoos. I had like Philly Blue shirt and my case walking on the street and walking to work to New York Hardcore. And I'm walking through Avenue A, and I, I, don't, I didn't see it, but... Lori was dating uh, Brian Keelan back then. Brian Keelan is from... From uh, the Bouncing Souls. Bouncing Souls, I yeah. made his wedding cake to his I most recent Brian, wife. I love Brian. Nicest person I, I Did you go I to know. his wedding? No, but... Uh, they got married at this cute little barn mm-hmm. uh, in the Monmouth County Park system. I just did um, his wife's arm uh, last year. I They're did a beautiful sleeve. couple. Yeah, I love them. So he was in the car and he told me that years later, I didn't know, but he was in the car with her and you remember that moment that she stopped. She stopped in the middle of the road and just ran out of the car, like in traffic. She didn't park the car or anything. She just left the car in the middle of the road. For those of you that don't know, Yoni is talking about the owner of New York Adorn stopped her car in the middle of the road. Yeah, she. I guess she saw me walking on the sidewalk and she looked for an artist that do tribal, traditional tribal work. And I used to have dreadlocks and I had black tattoos on my arm. And in the 90s, when you have sleeves, 
you are a tattoo artist or a musician. There's no other way. Like, you're not anything else. There's no chefs back there with tattoos. There was no barbers or hairdresser with tattoos. There was no yoga, whatever. It was, you're most likely going to be a tattoo artist or a musician. And so she saw me with my tattoos in the 90s, and she's like, she pointed at me. That's what Brian told me. She said, this is my guy. And she just ran out of the car. And I'm walking on Avenue A, and she's like, I hear behind me, it's like, hey, excuse me, excuse me. She's like, she like, I'm turning around, she's like, are you a tattoo artist? And I was like, yes. And she's like, oh, can I see your work? And I was like, I have my portfolio because I'm going to work in New York Hardcore. So I showed her, and all my work is all black work, you know, because that's in Israel. We have a lot of sun, not many people getting color tattoos. So all my work was based off of tribal tattoos. Like tramp stamps? That took a lot, yeah. I, I, the tram step gave me a couple tunnel just because the way it's, you tattoo with the <laughs> lower back angle and stuff. Anyway, I did, I did, I did probably four or five a day for years. Um, but she looked at my photos and she's like, "Yes, you, you exactly what I'm looking for." And I was like, I, "I'm looking for someone to work for in my shop." And I told her, "Oh, I'm, I'm just like I'm a young tattooer. I'm just tattooing for like two years or something." And I. I'm, I, I'm living in Israel and I'm still an apprentice in a way, so I can't really leave my boss and move to New York. And she's like, oh, that's too bad. And she walked away. And she walked into a car and I kind of look in the car and I see on the seat where she's sitting, there's a hoodie and it, was, it says New York Adorn. So I walked after her and I, I said, hey, excuse me, which shop do you own? And she's like, oh, I own New York Adorn. And I was like, uh, you just offered me a job in New York Adorn? And she's like, yes. I'm like, okay, I want it. <laughs> and it's like, you have to give me a year to give a notice to my boss because I can't just leave him. But I'll be back in next year and I'll, be, I'll work for you if you'll wait. And she's like, I'll wait for you. And she did. She didn't hire anybody else for that year. The second I landed, got off the plane a year later, I called the New Yorker dawn. I think I even called from the airport, if, I'm not mis- if I remember right. And I t- it was Monday. And I told her, hi, this is Yoni. She's like, uh, from Israel. She's like, I know you are. We didn't speak for a year. And she's like, uh, you moved to New York? I'm like, yes, I'm here. And she's like, you can start tomorrow. So I landed in New York Monday and I was t- tattooing, working in New York alone on Tuesday. There's something about that story. This is now the second time I'm listening to this story mm-hmm. that makes me like well up with tears. Like yeah. when someone wants something. I wrote, so Yoni and I were just talking about how when I, uh, you know, I, I write things a lot. Uh, when I'm interviewing, even if I'm Zooming a client mm-hmm. or something, I'm always writing things down, things that just come to me. Because yeah. partially because I'm a fucking, an old burnout yeah, and I'll forget yeah, things. Forget, yeah. But sometimes it's just, and I wrote down dedication and conviction. Yeah. And it's just like such a wonderful unfurling yeah. of all of that work that you did. Yeah. And I feel like New Yorker Dorn is a, it's not that I not give credit to myself. I'm a hardworking person, so I know that I, I whatever I have, I worked for. But New York don't definitely open a lot of doors for me, you know, because even everywhere I went in the world back then, if you go to a convention and you just put a banner that says New York Adorn on it, people come to you it's like, wow, you work in New York Adorn. It was very, it's famous today, but back in the nine in 2000 beginning, New York Adorn was pretty big deal in tattoo world you know and uh, it really was and, and working there for me was like almost like oh yeah I, I made it like I'm, I'm in the dream team you know but I was so bad in tattooing back then 
that I remember every tattoo I finished, I was like bandages right away and like, okay, I see you Bye. later because yeah, I didn't want anybody Never to come see back. it. Yeah, I didn't want anybody <laughs> to see it. But I was Thank sit- God there's not Instagram. Yes. Bye. Oh yeah. I'm so happy there was no Instagram back then. But I was um I was working really hard every day just to improve my work and and ask and you know all the guys in the shop helped me so much you know all the artists there the it's it's uh yeah it was a really amazing opportunity for me that yeah so then you started working at new york adorned and how long did you work there total 17 years yeah i was the longest employees ever of new york adorned uh, I think O'Donnell was uh, 13 years, if I'm not mistaken. It's or a long 12. Time. Yeah. yeah. So you finally decided to, when you had kids, to move to New Jersey and open the space? Yeah, the second kid. We, we have a first kid in New York and uh, it was fine. But when my wife said, stop talking about the second kid, I thought, you know, like walking around with two babies on the street in Manhattan with all the ambulances the hectic and like people running around and subway stations and and dirt and and I'm like uh I don't know like I don't know if this is what I want to that's the life I want to give them like uh New York is amazing place but I think it's an amazing place for a certain age like from 18 to 30 you're gonna have so much fun in New York you know like but I feel like when you're too young or too old, you don't really get what New York have to offer. I don't know. For kids, you have the museums and the culture, but when you live in New Jersey, you you got best of both worlds because New York is not so far, so you can get the culture of New York for your kids without living there. Or you can move to Long Island or move to Queens. Or I'm talking about Manhattan is uh, is is also the size of the apartment and the storage and strollers and where you're gonna put this and. I just couldn't think about it that way. We did look to buy an apartment in Brooklyn, but with the money we had, I could have afforded only something in like Bushwick or something. And then I didn't, I myself, I always like to, I don't like to feel claustrophobic. I don't like to live in, a, you know, here I live in Atlantic Highlands, I'm right by the water, you know, so I feel open air. I don't like to live in a neighborhood that's so far from the water or so far from an, a, a way out. And for me, Williamsburg was a good thing because it's right by the river, so you you feel the openness, you know? It's like less claustrophobic. I just don't like to live deep into a neighborhood. And when I decided I don't want to move that far in, I, me and my wife started looking in New Jersey, and, you know, the second place we saw was Atlantic Highlands here, and this is like, oh, yeah, I can get to New York easy on the boat. Um, there's the ocean right here. I can surf if I want, or, or just, yeah, and... And the only problem for me was that nobody know me here as a tattoo artist, you know, like, like people know me a little bit, but all my clientele is in Manhattan, you know, in Brooklyn, like this is where my work this is my livelihood there. And, uh, and right now I'm in this studio in Jersey for eight years. And I think only in the last year or two, maybe I picked up a lot of locals of that love that appreciate my Tibetan art. So I'm, I'm super happy about that and appreciative of all the New Jersey young generation that, that, that found me and, and they appreciate what I do and they just give me a free range of the same as clients as New York, you know. So I almost like, I still go to New York. I still work there in Five Points in New York once a week, but I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm okay if I want, you know. Like I, but I do stay loyal to my clients in New York because I do love them and I'm never going to... As a tattoo artist, without your clients, you're nothing. You know, like they are your canvas. They are in a way, 
you know they are so of course you can't be a good tattoo artist without good clients and um, I have a lot of good clients in Manette and so that's why I'm always going to stay there because I just love being in, there with them and, and tattoo there as well but uh, I'm happy that I have that year too so I'm happy you found your place and I believe in the the idea of like if you build it they will come yeah especially sure. if you're at a certain level of uh like work workmanship mm -hmm. or something um in my own life I feel that all the time like I was so scared to close the restaurant yeah. and to go out onto my own and now I'm a personal chef and I go into people's homes yeah. and do events and I had, I've had very similar. I've been a chef for 21 years. And you should do a, one time in my restaurant. We should do an evening. I would love to. Yeah. I would absolutely we should love talk to. About I'd it. be honored. Hey, um, when you said about people uh, that if you build it, it will come, it's make me want to say that I'm very appreciative of like, I have cost, I'm in Atlantic Islands in New Jersey. It's, it's, I, I do believe that in the tattooing thing, I brought, like I had customers from Japan coming here to Atlantic Highlands to get tattooed by what me. What a blessing. I had a customer from, from Bhutan came here, flew from Bhutan to New Jersey to get tattooed by me. That's a testament to the beauty of your work. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not blowing smoke up my ass. I'm just like <laughs> saying it's amazing for me that, that there's people that see as a Tibetan art and they see it and they, they do the effort of like, I have customers that I'm working big pieces from Texas even, and they just come here for get to leave. But, you know, in America, it's, it's also far travel to come from all those places. But I have customers that came from Australia. from And it's not they come to New York. When you come to New York, you say whatever, they come to New York. But to say that they come to a small town in New Jersey for you, that's, that's a big compliment for me, you know, and uh, I'm very, very appreciative of that. That's uh, cool. I don't feel as if it's the same level, mm -hmm. but people fly me places to mm -hmm. cook for them, yeah. which blows my fucking That's mind. That's amazing, yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact that people want me to get on, to, I mean, it, I'll get on a plane any day of the week. Yeah, and by the way, again, we're going back to tattooing, I'm so loving it that chefs love tattoos, you know, <laughs> because I get treated like king when I go to restaurants in New York when I tattoo the chefs, you know? Totally. And it's always, it's such a good... Uh, what it's called, like... Uh, like I scratch my back, you scratch yours? Yeah, but it's so Reciprocal amazing. Reciprocal relationship. Like, I'm so happy that the people, like the chefs love tattoos. The chefs love tattoos. It's, they do. Chefs look like tattooers these days. They like, do. They're covered. I know chefs that have more, I don't know, more than me, but they have a fully body suits, tattoos, and they're just, they chefs. And it's, I'm wondering the psychology behind it, like why chefs love tattoos as much as tattooers. Well, I can tell you from my own experience... A lot of it has to do with, I mean, I am looking at it through the filter of my own experience from be, like coming of age in the 90s mm -hmm. yeah. and owning a restaurant from 2004 to 2000, I think it was 2009. Mm -hmm. It was because I was in the back of the house and nobody seeing me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't have hand tattoos yeah. then. But I guess you're your own, uh, also I guess... I, I was also the and, fucking boss. Yeah. So like, yeah, what's but, somebody going to do? Just yeah. like not give me a job? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but then, so I worked at that restaurant uh, as an intern mm -hmm. uh, down to earth with uh, Gail and Lacey Cher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Lacey's husband, then husband. My, yeah. uh, well, no, oh. Lacey's husband, 
uh, Jason Silverio was in a band with Mike Schweigert and Robert Ryan called. Fuck. I know. I know Tom Yak's old band name. I don't remember. What's his old band name? Dead Man. No, no, not Dead. I don't. Tom wasn't in that band. Um, It was. I'll think of it in a second, and I could just. Oh, God. I'm going to have to fucking erase this, probably. <laughs> um, but they were in a band. So they were all in a band together. Uh-huh. Um, and that started... I had a tattoo on my foot that I still have. Yeah. That I got when I was 16 mm-hmm. in... That's a tough spot, pain-wise. In Seaside Heights. Okay. I haven't covered it up because... That's where my wife grew up around there. It's yeah. a... It's purposeful. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tattoos is like passports on your, of your life. Right. You know? it's, it's purposeful. Like, um, it was so you where, dumb. Where you've been in that time. 16. So then when I started, so for the filter of my own experiences, I think it's from being in the back of house. But we, we were talking before we started uh, taping earlier about a certain person's like the heart of their artistic mm-hmm. manner is also rooted in their um, oppositional sort of defiant spirit. Yeah. yeah, I think that chefs and tattooists sort of come came from different sides of things, but there's that defiant spirit mm-hmm. inside of the creativity that we need to be good at our jobs. Yeah, and also I feel like chefs are that bonds us are in control of of their work. You know, like this, they are the 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 main men. You know, they're like yes, there's other cooks in the kitchen, but they are the ones that do the main work. Like the tattooer do the tattoos, the chef do the the dish. You know, right. Know, if you're running if you're running a kitchen properly there needs to be or let's let me rephrase that if you're running a traditional kitchen there is a head main yeah. you know dog yeah head wolf yeah. Yeah, type yeah, yeah. of alpha yeah. shit yeah like patra familias yeah yeah that's not my shit but yeah. like yeah i tattooed so many chefs in new york and few of them still get tattooed by me. And one of them, like, have a Michelin star restaurant in New York. And, so and, cool. And I, and I go there, and it's like, he's always treat me like a king when I come there. And people, like, looking around, like, who's this guy? You know, like, I was like, I'm just his tattooer, you know? But it's like, <laughs> it's so nice. It's it's such a good, it's such a cool thing for me to to do, you know? Like, because uh, I do it anyway, even if you wouldn't give me all this, you know? But, but it's nice, the appreciation. And also, I love eating good food, you know? <laughs> so, me too. Yeah. There's nothing better than good food. Yeah, true. I like the stuff that surrounds it too. Um, mm-hmm. Like that camaraderie, the yeah. breaking of the bread, yeah. the sharing of the stories. Yeah. The, and the same stuff happens on the tattoo table. I've been tattooed mm-hmm. enough now. Yeah. We like psychologists, you know. Yeah. We like, it's same thing I think with like barbers and hairdressers. Mm-hmm. It's something that's but, very but personal. But tattooing also the customer is in pain. So it's even more personal, you know. It's like, oh, I'm going under his skin, you know. So it's like. Yeah. Yeah, I I, uh, I tattooed, you know, as every tattooer, tattooing every line of, every kind of person can tattoo, you know, like uh, from lawyers to brain surgeons, to like neurosurgeons or prostitutes or strippers or cops or judge, whatever we tattooed, you know, so it's uh, celebrities, non-celebrities, you know, everybody. So it's cool because we get to meet 
every walk of life, you know, and talk to them like, like I think Hanky Panky said that like he, you can tattoo like uh, the biggest gangster of the world and tell him sit the fuck down, you know, because and he will do, he will listen to you because you're always tattooer, you know, so you can talk anybody. You know, I feel the same. That's funny that you said that because I feel the same way about being a chef. Yeah, probably you can say to a gangster and he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to eat his food. I better not mess with him. It's what I like about tying it a little bit to my work is that so I travel all over doing this work. I go all over the place. Mm -hmm. um, so the fact that people fly me places to cook for them mm -hmm. just blows my fucking mind. Mm -hmm. Like I can't even believe yeah. it. And then. What I've noticed is happening lately, and I don't know if this has happened to you, maybe like a while back, because I feel like you, regardless of how I feel. Mm -hmm. So a, a couple years ago, I used to have these hangups, like when I would meet a client or I would meet them at a party uh, that I was doing, and they said, oh, I want you to do a, a party for me, or oh, a friend of mine um, wants had a party with you and I, I want to book you and I get there and they're like food people, mm -hmm. you know, they maybe own restaurants, restaurants that I love. Yeah. Um, it's mostly food people that really get me intimidated or the editor of a very large food magazine or travel magazines or people who I look at as having mm -hmm. very good taste. Yeah. That I'm really intimidated by. And then I cook for them and they're like, ranting and raving like this was the best thing and did yeah and then i leave there instead of this is years ago i like now embrace it a little yeah. bit easier but years ago a couple years back i would be so nervous going in and then after they gave me all these compliments <laughs> i would leave and be like they have no fucking idea what they're talking about yeah. like yeah, yeah how yeah. could i possibly have just created like quote unquote the best meal they've ever had or something like that. I'm like, that's not, that doesn't even feel like it's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's hard for you to see it from when you see it, you know, not like, saying that happens all the time, but when every it has, tattoo I do when the person leave and I months pass by, I think probably did such a bad job. I always feel like I did a bad, not a good job. You know, I, I never think I did a good job. And then, the guy I see him on the street a couple of years later and the tattoo, and it's always like that. The tattoo is actually looks really good. So it makes me feel like, oh, all these two years I was walking around thinking I fucked it up and it's actually it was amazing, beautiful tattoo. And it's almost, it's hard for you to see your stuff as good as other people see it. Every time. But yeah, but um, so yeah, I don't know. I've started embracing it a little more. Yeah. Um, because I think it's sort of a definition of insanity that if people tell you something is good for long enough yeah. and like the, f the proof is in the pudding, people yeah, yeah. are flying me places, people that have already ate my food yeah. <laughs> or had an experience, yeah. they're like wanting it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I just have to live inside of, okay, this is just like this creative doubt Mm -hmm. That like my output doesn't match. Yeah, you never want to be in a place of saying, okay, I'm the I'm best. the shit. Yeah. I yeah. also, I think inherently on some level feel like I'm the shit because why would I be doing this? To, or I don't yeah. know. It's like yeah. there's a piece of it that has, it's very tied to ego and yeah, yeah, it yeah. will be because it's tied to whether or not someone's happy with my work. Yeah, but now with Instagram, it's easy for me to know my place. <laughs> 
when I see so many good tattoos around, like I see sometimes young tattooers tattooing for five years and they like, they blow my mind how good they are. So it's almost like when I was young tattooer, I, I always in my head, I will be the best tattoo artist in the world. That's what I always said to myself. When I, the same thing that I said to myself, I'm going to be a tattoo artist, I start saying I'm going to be the best one in the world after I began to be a tattoo artist. But then when you grow up and you realize, first of all, you can't be the best in the world because it's drawings. You can't say this is the best drawing in the world because it's not. The different style of drawing will be as good or better, you know? And also when you see the amount of good work in the world, it's impossible to be... You can say... Um, I'm in a circle of the best thousand tattooers, you know, I'm in the same, I, if you, you know what I mean? Like 2000 tattooers, if you count 2000 tattooers, maybe I can put myself in this 2000, you know? I could and, say unequivocally, you're probably there. Yeah. But I mean, what the fuck do I know? I don't yeah. Know. But, but, <laughs> but the thing is that, but for me, like with Instagram too, uh, let's say when people commenting, oh, it's so beautiful, it's so beautiful. And I, I appreciate every comment, but then let's say if Bob Roberts say it's beautiful. So much more gravity. Uh, yes. Or Itoshi you know, or, or people that like being around for 40 years doing it. If they say something, they not just saying it, you know, and, and that's every, every compliment, every comment is a compliment, you know, or something like this, but, but it's way more heavy when someone like that you know saying it um i i agree yeah Someone, it's like uh, i don't know I anthony now, bourdain tell you or whatever right you know same i've uh very recently within the last year i cooked for someone that was always um someone that i looked up to mm -hmm. and they hand wrote me a letter in the mail yeah amazing yeah. um i cooked for one of for their spouse's birthday yeah. And Han wrote me a letter in the mail and I have it framed. And yeah. it was a really, um, it's humbling. Mm -hmm. Like I had to humble myself. Like it's, it's also a God complex mm -hmm. when you think, when I think that I have better taste than anyone else in the world, yeah. that when you even tell me to my face, you think it's good. I'm like, no, it wasn't Yeah, like. That is a God complex, just a reverse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For, for me, I don't. I never had a tattoo. You know, in my first ten years of tattooing, I liked one tattoo out of ten that I did. And then we grow, and, and then, then we like maybe two. And then two. after fifteen years, I start liking. <laughs> I start liking four tattoos out of ten. Nice. And then in eighteen years, I start liking six tattoos out of ten. And then now I'm tattooing 24 years, I probably like eight tattoos out of 10. You know, it's almost like that. I don't think it's going to be, I hope it's going to be 10 out of 10 eventually because that's, people ask me, what's the best tattoo you ever did? I always say it's my next one. That's the best tattoo I ever did. That's a great answer. Yeah. And it's true because every tattoo I'm about to do, I always going to treat it. That's going to be my best tattoo I ever did. And, and, you know, and I feel like in now when people, imagine if someone traveled from Bhutan to get tattooed by me and I fuck it up, imagine how devastating it is. You and know? it's heavy. That's yeah, like, it's you feel like, the heaviness. Yeah. So it's like, you know, people expect you to do it the way they see it, you know, and it's, it's not easy. You know, it's, it's not that not easy. It's a, it's, it's, it's almost, you have to prepare for it mentally, you know, like, uh, 
Like if I have a big tattoo to do on the Monday, the all Sunday, I will just think about it. Like, uh, oh, tomorrow I have to do this. How oh, should I do this? Oh, I should practice it. I'll just print out the, the photo and, you know, like drawings. And it's, it's uh, people doesn't see, you know, I charge hourly rate, but people doesn't see the amount of hours I put in before I start touching the machine, you know, and they don't know it. Like sometimes people in a bar can tell me, oh, I want to get a a dragon on my back, let's say. Because I'm so OCD, even if the guy was drunk and he's never going to get tattooed by me, in my head, I already planning it. Just planning it. Oh, what am I going to do on his back? I even sometimes look at books and I will I mark... I do the same thing about work. And I will mark the dragons that I think will fit to the guy that he will never get tattooed by me, but he just told me that. So it's like he planned something and I'm like, oh, maybe it's going to happen, maybe not, you know, but I always, my head always walking third the tattoo. Yeah. That's funny that you say that because I do the same thing. Um, if someone asks me to cook a certain thing or they talk about their favorite food or something, even if I'm not planning an event yeah. or cooking for them, if I don't do know it. everything about that food yeah. or the history of it, where it's from, how mm -hmm. to properly make it, I'll take an online class. I'll fucking fly somewhere and learn how to cook it or yeah. do it properly. Yeah. Um, the culinary school that I went to, one of the, one of the instructors had a side business called to grammar, to grandmother's house we go. Mm -hmm. And it took students into all different, you know, bubbies and grandmas and nonas and, you know, abuelas mm -hmm. kitchens and teach people. That is so my vibe. I want to know like mm -hmm. the real way, the right way. Right. If you ever go to Israel, you should go see my mom. I would love to meet your mom. <laughs> I'll definitely be in Israel as soon as the world opens. Yes, my mom is. Uh, she lives in the kitchen. Like she, I would love. She wake up. Sunday. I feel like we're friends now, yeah. so I can get your mom's number. Yeah. It's not a my big mom, deal. <laughs> we we have one dish that we eat on a on a Saturday. That she cooks starts Sunday. So she's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, cooking the breakfast for Saturday. And once we all eat it, she starts again on Sunday. So she almost leaves for that dish. Hmm. You know? And that dish is every every it's Yemenite. My mom is from Yemen. Every person in Israel said, Oh, my mom make the best this dish. And and but then when they try my mom, they're like, Okay, your mom did it better. It's it's she's definitely the master of that dish, you know. But, uh, that's so cool yeah yeah what is it what's the it's dish? called jaknun it's like it's a dough it's like a sweet dough but you have to really what it's called like massage it almost for days to make it like the leafy pasty thing that it is and it's such a hard work um uh it's it's a traditional yemenite dish that in israel everybody know what it is and everybody crave it because it's so heavy you can eat it only on your day off because you don't want to go to work after you eat that. You know? So it's like a donut? Not really. Um, it's it's like a sweet dough, not like a donut. You kind of dip it in uh, Sauce? crushed tomatoes. Ooh. And uh, it's almost like honey kind of thing. It's, I've never been to Yemen, but I'm interested. Yeah. I, we, I can't go to Yemen as Israeli, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, my mom is born in Yemen. She's Yemenite. But if I have a, if I have a stamp, an Israeli stamp on my passport, I can then, still... They won't even? Mm, not sure. Maybe. It's very hostile country for Israel. But also, if you come to Israel and you have a stamp from Iran or hostile country, they will interrogate you way more. So, um, 
I love that all of these threads are kind of linked together. But when I think about, um, I'd really like to know, I'd really like to know how you got into painting Mm -hmm. in the way that you are now. And have you always felt a calling towards this specific art? Um, Meaning Tibetan Tibetan art. art. So let me just start really quick with the, I, I look at myself as a very good student. People, some people say master. Um, I always said, you're a master when you master the art of studying. And as a kid, I was, uh, I was a jockey. You know, it's funny, but I was riding horses all my life as a kid, as a young kid. And I used to have a guy that teach me to ride horses. So I was a very good student in that. And I was really, I started making money at the age of 13, but just riding horses for people like torbreds and all this stuff. So I was a very good student in the horse fields, right? And then tattooing. My teacher that taught me tattoo, his name is Avi Vanunu in Israel. And I was a very good student to him. I was doing anything he asked me. I was just like there all day long, 18 hours a day, no breaks, no money. I don't care about money. I don't care about anything. So I was a very good student in tattooing. And then uh, in Israel, I went to art classes as well. I used to take like uh, figure drawings. Uh, and my teacher, Menachem Israchi, he, uh, rest in peace, he passed away a few years ago, but he was a very close friend of mine, but he was uh, a very good art teacher. So I used to go to his house twice a week and I used to study figure paintings. And then when I moved to New York, um, I used to go to Switzerland to get tattooed by Philip Lou a lot. And Philip used to have an apprentice named Rinzing that uh, Rinzing is Tibetan. His father is Tibetan, I think. I think his mom too, I'm not sure, but or maybe his mom is Swiss and his father Tibetan, I'm not sure. But he was always drawing Tibetan influenced tattoos or not tattoos, just paintings. So I always looked at him and I was like, this is amazing, you know, like it's really amazing drawing what he does. And Philip used to have a lot of those Tibetan books. And when I came back to New York, I was like, I want to start drawing like that too. So I started getting books, Tibetan books, and I started drawing a lot of Tibetan drawings. And when a guy came in, he wanted to get like this half sleeve by me and he wanted like Japanese style. So I kind of like, oh, let's do it Tibetan, you know? And he's like, what is Tibetan? Were you interested in only the art the of mechanics it. of it yes. and not the inner yes uh spiritual part? spiritual no, or, yeah. or religious only component. the art of it the art was what blew my mind you know but the inside of those mechanics there's like symbology that you just studied the the yes. that yeah and then for me it mostly like I looked when I looked at the Tibetan painting, I just looked at the artist. I didn't look at the iconography part of it. I didn't look why the artist did it or who commissioned him to do it. I, um, for me, I'm more interested in the guy that actually painted it. Yeah, like, like who's this dude and yes. why, why did yeah. he paint this? Yeah, and and with Tibetan art, it's like almost like a commission. So they tell you, oh, draw me a green Tara, draw me a Manjushri or Avalokiteshvara or whatever it is. So you draw that, but then the artists have the freedom to draw it the way he wants to draw it with the background and the, and the animals you're going to add in and, and the, the, the composition of the clouds. And, and, and the, the, I, I see this is the beauty of it. Because like, I feel like 
the you almost everybody can draw the main image because you, you know if you learn to draw the grid and you learn a little bit you, but it's it's really hard to create and make it your own and it's very individual Tibetan art even people think it looks like it's been manufactured by same person or they don't see it different when you learn Tibetan art you see the difference between the painting and drawing and and you can see it's very individual um but yeah so when i come back to new york i uh i was like uh looking at books and and i started tattooing people with tibetan art it was about 2004 or something and then i started realizing that all my work is from this book one book that every, that i bought you know because it's the easiest way to can you look at tibetan art it's really hard to break it down it's so tense and so many details that it's hard to take out an image out of it because you don't know where the thing starts where they end it's very packed dense dense right. yeah it's mm -hmm. hard to break it into a drawing or a tattoo even if you trace it it's going to be too small the fingers the hands you kind of have to learn how to redraw it to make it a good tattoo and there was one book the encyclopedia of tibetan art i think it's called it's an english guy i think robert bear that he broke it down to westerners in a way he, he kind of simplified everything and made it he redraw everything in a western way that it was easy to read so i took that book and i used it all the time you know and i was like but it, it got to the point of saying i'm almost going to finish every image from that book and what what next when i finish that book what i'm going to do next just reproduce everything again i'm like i don't want to be that kind of person i don't want to be my career depend on that guy you know right like for the rest of my life you, I need to learn to do it my own, you know, and I, I just couldn't figure out how to do it by just looking at books because it's so intense. And you, so that's when I start uh, pursuing a teacher, someone that I can learn. And the only place I learned, I knew or heard about, that was about 2005, I think, that I decided I want to learn Tibetan art properly, like the way that I should. And I started researching and the only place, all the places led me to Nepal. You know, all the, in Nepal, there's schools everywhere, Tibetan art school, Tibetan art school. And I'm like, all right, I guess this is where I should go because I can't find anywhere else. Did so, you have kids then? No. So I did. So this is 2004? 2005. Okay. Oh, yeah, 2005 or maybe 2006. I think by the time. 2006, maybe. I tried to, I, I actually told Lori in Adorn that I'm leaving the shop. I'm quitting. I'm going to Nepal. I'm gonna um, go follow my dreams yes, in I'm Nepal. Be, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna, I'm be gonna a... come back, but I'm gonna be a Tibetan style tattoo artist, and I need to learn it the right way, like the same as I learn tattooing, the same as I learn everything else. I need to go to school and learn how to do Tibetan art. So I, everything was set up. I gave up my apartment. I sold my car. I bought a ticket, one-way ticket to Nepal. Everything. I bought boots for the hiking. I bought. <laughs> I went to. Uh, paragon sport and i bought all the gear that i need for the <laughs> himalayas and stuff i was seriously I, I was ready to go and that's when two weeks before john dix came to visit me in new york and we went to the ruby museum and that's when i met pema and everything changed when i met pema we uh start talking and then he told me living where he lives and it ended up being two blocks away from where i live in williamsburg so in my head i'm saying i'm about to leave to the other side of the world in two weeks to learn something that the best teacher i ever heard of lived two blocks away from me basically the best living yes he's probably the teacher. best living teacher of tibetan art right now so i was like 
yeah, I, I canceled my trip. I like, what are the odds? Yeah, I got a new apartment. I uh, got credit for my flights. I got back my job in Adorn. Luckily, my girlfriend at the time, that today is my wife, <laughs> forgave me because we are about to break up. Because we are about to, I gave up my girlfriend. Like we, she said she maybe gonna. It's funny we went to like, like, uh, like counseling and stuff because we couldn't figure out how can I live for a year and I have a girlfriend. You know what? You're gonna wait for me for one year without seeing me for a year and then that's it. When I come back in here, will be like the same. Because she had a job, she couldn't just go to Nepal. You know. So yeah, lucky we stay together and we have two kids now and we're happily married. But I'm just that was a breaking like that was a it was so weird because if I wouldn't go to the Women's Museum that day, I would never meet Pema Rinzing and I would be in Nepal for a year. Well, thank you, John Dix. Yeah. Yeah, John Dix made me go to the Rubin. <laughs> yes, for sure. I've never met John Dix, but I've heard great things. He is amazing. I love him. So I very vividly remember the first time I saw a real Tonka. I was in middle school and a friend of mine's parents lived out in Howell mm -hmm. where there's a Tibetan uh, monastery Okay, and the mom cleaned, you know, the whole space mm -hmm. and we went in there with her just because we were young we didn't drive cars or anything yet and she said oh i have to stop at you know church yeah to clean and i just walked in and it was like no one was there it was totally empty and up at the front there was this massive tonka hand painted yeah. and just ornate and beautiful no lights on and she turned on a small light as she was just cleaning up yeah. old flowers or something from a puja or something. Yeah. And um, I just stood there like in complete and total awe. Yeah. Not knowing what I was looking at. Couldn't not believe knowing. that it's done by hand, you know, like it's a And I said to my friend, is this a painting? Yeah. <laughs> or did somebody just like draw this on or is this a screen print? Or mm -hmm. because at the time I was I left high school to do um, vocational school. Um, so I did photography and graphic design and, and print uh, and printmaking, like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, screen printing and stuff like that. And um, I was just like, it was blew my mind. Like, and I went to my, I always grew up and went to museums yeah. and I was pretty cultured and traveled at that point. And like looking up at that was just like, just beyond awe that someone did that with yeah. a paintbrush. I think one of the, it's not the biggest problem, but I think a problem with sometimes with Tibetan art, it is, it's almost there's a screen of religion covering the quality. Because when people look at Tibetan art, they see right, right away, they see Buddhists, you know, and it's great. But then you take away, imagine if it wasn't Buddhist, if it was just a painting, people will appreciate it way more, the quality of it. I think it's the same level as Leonardo da Vinci or, or some of them, you know, the real masters from the 17th century. They're, they're, they're not lesser than Picasso or all those people, but they didn't get the same recognition because there's the coverage of its religious art. You know, even though Leonardo da Vinci also had religious art, but I'm just saying it's almost like a screen that blocked people's mind to actually look at the painting and appreciate the painting for what it is. 
you know and um it's 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 almost like my teacher always tell me don't think about the iconography don't think about like i he wants me to know what i'm doing and 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 of course if i was buddhist i would naturally i would know more but uh but sometimes your brain you want to put a full energy on the drawing and if you start thinking oh yeah but this is a this and the religion and stuff you can almost occupy your brain with stuff that take away from the the drawing you know so i just i sometimes i want like people looking at it and saying look at it for what the art of it like forget that is actually a buddhist drawing and just look at it as a piece of art and uh, that's what i think i'm so admired about the tibetan culture because they took the art part and made it such an important part of their culture and it's so cool if you think about it like how many cultures taking art and making it like such an important thing you know and it's a it's a it's a great thing that, that they do and uh, I'm, I'm i'm happy that i'm doing it because i feel like not many people doing it you know it's not there's no, no profit in tibetan art there's no money in it really uh, I wish there was, and then pe- more people will do it. But when a Tibetan kid growing up, and he, let's say his father is a painter, it's not really financially worth to the kid to study what his father do. He better be a realtor or better be something like this to make money, to make a living. Back in the 59 or before that in Tibet, it, you didn't have to work hard to make so much money, or you, need, you didn't have to have so much money so you can put your energy to study the art. Right. But that's kind and of it lost was also, these days, you know, uh, part and parcel of like religious study. So. Mm-hmm. So anyone who has like created a life in that or was born into that lineage, mm-hmm. like money wasn't really like the thing they were thinking yeah. about because it's yeah, but just if you part live in of America today. Right. Or- of course. Well, you need to. But like the origination of yeah. it, there was no, you know, like they weren't thinking about um, how am I making money? But like, but I love the the idea that it really is. There's an idea that it's clouded by the ideas and beliefs attached to it. Yeah. I, lo- I love that we have the Rubin Museum in New York. I love that people right. like uh, even... Um, National History or uh, the Met, they have some Tibetan art and the Brooklyn Museum have some Tibetan art because without that, I'm not talking down on Nepal or anything like that. There's some very good artists in Nepal too, but a lot of it is is almost like uh, tourist reproductions, you know, and that's what kind of flooding the market and more people see bad Tibetan art than good Tibetan art. And my fear is that the, it's gonna, the, the ratio will grow even more and more and it's going to be 95% t- awful Tibetan art and only the good one kind of getting disappeared. And in 20 years from now, the Tibetan art not going to be as impressive as it is today or 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So I think people should keep studying Tibetan art the full length that I did or even more. Of course, even more is better to preserve the quality of Tibetan art. And I'm talking to even Tibetan people, not just, you know, I'm Westerner, I'm like, I'm Israeli, I'm not like a, you know. But even when in the beginning, when I started doing Tibetan, people would come and sometimes send me a message like, oh, you're not even Tibetan, why are you using our art? You know, it's it's cultural appropriation or something. And I was like, "I, I think you should look at it the wrong way because I'm actually introducing more people to Tibetan art. So I'm making your culture more available to people that maybe I will 
keep the quality of it. If I was doing it in a bad way, then I understand if you're mad at me because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm making it, I'm making it, in, I'm portraying it in a bad way. Right. But do you think my art is ugly or something? I do it in a, and he said, no, it's beautiful. Like, so it's a good thing, you know, like it's not a bad thing. It doesn't matter. I'm not a Tibetan, you know, like I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm respecting your culture. I'm Absolutely. Not, you know, and my best friend Cassie lived in Dharamsala for like 10 or 11 years and there's some good tattooers there. They're mm -hmm. not like ma magnificent, but there's some yeah. good tattooers there that um, have studied a lot of Tibetan art, but they're not like painting tankas or yeah. anything. Yeah, I met a few there. Yeah. Um, it, I um, I wouldn't consider any of them friends. No offense to them, yeah. but they're just not. Um, but Cassie started a soccer program for Tibetan refugee girls uh, i played soccer in a ctv there the tibetan the school tibetan village the village oh cool yeah a video of me playing soccer with the kids she <laughs> she started tibet women's soccer mm -hmm. which is a non-profit organization yeah. for tibetan girls and um when she was looking for federal funding which she got um we in india or here uh here okay um we were um, asked to go to uh, the Department of Justice and they wanted to, they have a whole program of sports. Uh, I can't think of the word right now. <laughs> diplomacy. Okay. They have a whole place for sports diplomacy. Yeah. Um, and those girls had just come home from a trip playing with, China and Germany and Cassie got to meet um, Angela Merkel and mm -hmm. they were, you know, that's anyway. So the Department of Justice invited us over there to meet with their diplomacy program and we went. It was amazing. And then we were about to leave. We just thought that was the thing. And then we get a phone call from um, the office of Tibet, which if Tibet was a country, mm -hmm. yeah, it would no, be I, an embassy, yeah. right? Or a consulate. Yeah. Um, and it used to be, it's in the same building, same space as what would have been the Tibetan consulate or the embassy, but now it's Is just it called Delhi office or? of Tibet. It's no, it's in DC. Oh, okay. okay. I was there in one in Delhi. Yeah. The, okay. And, uh, we were invited in and the Tonka hanging in the main salon, the tea salon mm -hmm. was like, I literally sat there on the verge of tears like wow man mm -hmm. like i don't know the artist and i don't yeah, know yeah. i'm not educated about yeah, they it don't put their names on it too that's the one thing that they should but yeah so you it's almost like you just need to have the eye for it or yeah, my teacher is good about that my teacher can look at a painting and know who did it and it's blow my mind and sometimes. this is the person that probably mm -hmm. hired him to do it and yeah, yeah. or something you like know that the lineage where it start from Right. What school in Tibet, what area in Tibet has been painted, you know, like these right. areas like in central Tibet, certain so you can actually you can actually look at a at a painting and know where in Tibet it was painted, you know? Right. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. When people who are like art historians or or people who really know what they're talking about when it comes to any type of art, whatever their mm -hmm. like thing is, I love when someone is like 
the even the smallest detail like oh well this blue didn't exist past yeah. 1870 yeah. so it must have been from this village and also and if there's more blue in the painting you know to ever commission that painting have a lot of money because blue is the most expensive color right to use so not many people use a lot of blue in their so painting cool. but if there's more blue you know oh the guy probably paid more money for it or or stuff like that you know it's uh yeah it's it's pretty amazing also the the placement of the skulls on the crown they don't they do it like separate in central tibet and in north tibet they do them closer to each other and the stuff that you would never know you know so you kind of like i read some books about it and stuff but my teacher is really good about that yeah um, yeah it's it's one that's why i call him a master because he's not just good at painting not just good in teaching he's he's really studied the art of western art tibetan art you have so much knowledge about art that it's uh, that's that's masterful for me when you everything about what you do is just you know everything about it and in tibetan art of course i don't know everything about yet but uh, you know right. learning well yeah. i mean judging from what you've said in the last couple in the last hour or so i have a feeling you're going to master it at some point yeah. or get close yeah and probably yeah. get close uh, because i know what it takes i know that I'm too old for it too. I should have <laughs> I should have started when I was 10. Four, yeah. yeah. Or just quit tattooing and do it seven days a week, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'd, we're going to wrap up in a second. Um, but tell me, so if, obviously, if you didn't, if you weren't injured, mm -hmm. what does a day look like for you if you're not tattooing and you're, and you're just painting? Like, is it? If it was the optimal day, kids are out, wife is out, mm -hmm. the most optimal day of creation or creating or what does that look like to you? Yeah, same as you see me now. We'll sit on that chair and just put music on or put a podcast on or some something too. I like the people mumbling in, in the background. Me too. Chatter, yeah, chatter, yeah, chatter, chatter, chatter. Yeah. And I would just paint. I like sometimes to smoke my herbs in while I'm doing it too. Not when I'm tattooing, I don't smoke anything or... But I do like that. Um, yeah, that's my optimal day. Just, uh, you know, be like productive. You know, whatever whatever it is, I want to be productive. I want to uh, produce as many paintings as I can or just drawings or ideas. And yeah, that's for me, it's optimal. The best thing I can do, even when we go traveling, we go vacations. I always bring painting with me and paper and stuff and Everybody's like hanging out, playing games, video, whatever. And I'm just like sitting down and just painting. And just the most. What's your favorite kind of notebook? What do you mean? Like, do you have a brand that you like or a mm. specific kind of type of paper? Or? No, I usually have a, I'm, I'm walking around with a block of tracing paper and I draw on tracing paper. So I don't know if people think I'm tracing with it. I'm not. I just like to draw on tracing paper because it's just easy. I don't know. It's like a, almost like thin paper. But uh, I draw a lot on racing pa tracing paper. But, uh, yeah, there's stacks of it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, But yeah, no, I don't know if I have a specific... Uh, pencil? Uh, tracing paper with pencil? Mechanical pencil, that's what I use mostly. And then just brush. Mechanical pencil and brush. I usually never use markers or, you know, even I did a book together with John Dix and uh, every drawing in that book made up with a brush. And uh, it would be much faster and easier if I just use a marker, but I just don't see... When it's done with a brush, it's almost like the drawing is breathing. It's like uh, have more depth into it, you know? Yeah. Uh -huh. When you feel inspired to do something like this, and I'm, I'm pointing at a very large drawing, 
Um, do you want to just tell me what, what normally happens when you feel inspired or like point to something and be like, this is what was happening. So the things we see on the wall here now, it's my studies. It's, it's a totally hundred percent study. It's not something I just did out of my uh, mind is something that my teacher told me to do. Like he told me, take this image, draw this, this size here, and then create a background to it or something. He guided me throughout all the way. I have in my cabinets there, I have paintings that I did after I finished the class, after I, that I did on my own here, that are very similar, but I just, I just, uh, I, I look at a subject, I look, I look at an image, let's say that I want to learn. You know, I want to learn to draw this one. Uh, so I take it and I draw that main image that I want to learn to draw and then I create all the background to it like animals or, or I want, oh I want to learn to draw a deer or oh, let me draw it in that painting so I draw a couple deer so I want to learn to draw elephant you know so uh, and it's almost in Tibetan art as as much as you do it it's almost like if you master if you learn to draw the clouds perfectly you will learn to draw the water easier you know, it's almost everything tied to each other. It's almost almost this, everything of the same quality of line or so. So, yeah, I guess like um, it's almost, oh, yeah, you, you learn the clouds. Yeah, now you're going to be easier for you to learn water or, you know what I mean? Like uh, totally as much as you learn one one subject, it's easier the next one. Um, and the way I studied is studied in, a, in a, almost like a, in a university, you know, like there's three years master, like a master class I did it in 10 years. But three years, you get the first course. Then another three years, you have a second course. Then another three years, the third course. And then in one year, you do all the deities and protectors and stuff that, that like the master class. So I, I finished 10 years of that with in New York Tibetan Art Studio. That's and, so cool. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 when I look back, it's amazing because in those 10 years, I used to go three times a week, 2 p.m. to 9 p.m., I had two kids in the process and work at the same time, support my family. My wife wasn't working because she's a full-time mother at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I support apartment in Brooklyn, a car, two kids, walk my ass off and still three days a week went to school. So when I look back, I'm like, this is crazy. Like for the amount of work I put in to know what I know today. And when I finished to go to class, I didn't just finish Tibetan art. I, now I'm doing it here. I all day long drawing and painting Tibetan art. Yeah. So I'm still, and I still go see my teacher and asking questions. And he always helped me and he always give me pointers and tell me what I did wrong here or there. So it's, I'm still a student. It's 10,000 hours. Yeah. Yeah. And I probably. I just did the math. That's how long uh, it took me to do that math <laughs> with a pen. Great. And pencil. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just I just got my daughter a, a math tutor because she's homeschooled and I'm not that good. Like I, I'm good to do math in my head, but not that kind of math. Yeah, yeah no. Yeah. Um, lately, I've been studying uh, Hebrew and... Um, Hebrew is a hard language to learn. It is a very hard language to learn. Um, but, uh, you know, it's more... I'm, a, I'm an auditory and visual learner. So it's easy for me to hear somebody speaking, but if it's like written, say it's a mm -hmm. script or something yeah. or a movie and I can read like follow along and read it once I know the, once I know the, um, alphabet. So it's, I'm 
right now it's Arabic and Hebrew that I'm like the most focused on. Mm-hmm. And I'm teaching I, my daughter's Hebrew. I do once a, once a week. We do a one hour Hebrew class. Yeah. And because I speak it sometime and we watch shows in Hebrew sometimes, so they kind of get it more. But I can see how when you teach it someone, you realize how hard your language is because you can say one word in Hebrew and just the way you say it, it can be a different meaning. Intonation. Or, yeah, you can right. say, ah, eh, ooh, and it's going to mean, it sounds the same, but it's not mean the same. It right. also the, depends where it's in the sentence, you know, and stuff like that. So it's, it's really confusing. Yeah, it is confusing. And the... Um, same with Thai language too. I tried to learn Thai before. It's such a hard language. The, the al- they the say al- that Thai people themselves still today <laughs> don't know the whole language. Um, they say that a lot about um, Tibetan is... Uh, did you say Thai? Yeah, the, the language. Yeah. That's what I tried to learn before. So Thai. Tibetan, they say the same thing about Tibetan where mm-hmm. when you're asking someone like the rules of... Uh, you know, just the rules of speech. No mm-hmm. one even knows them. It's not like... The problem is language, I feel like I would like to learn more languages, but if I don't use them, there's no reason to learn them because you right. forget. So I teach my daughter Hebrew because we go to Israel a lot and I have family and, you know, they can always practice with me. But but when I, I used to spend a lot of time in Thailand, actually. So that's why I want to learn the language because I'm there all the time. So I can just speak it all the time. But then I stopped going to Thailand. I realized all I used to kind of mum. I had, I could I could I could have do a small talk with a Thai person before, like very like, hey, how you doing? You know, how was your dinner? How breakfast? All this stuff, you know. But now when I go there, I don't you know I don't remember anything almost, and it's like I, it's almost a waste of time if you're not gonna use it, you know. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I'm practicing like little shit, like writing my name, uh-huh. and it's just like it's a it's embarrassing. <laughs> I can give you some help. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so, Yoni, I want to thank you. Yeah. Thank you for allowing me into this beautiful space. Thank you for sharing your ideas on yeah. creativity thank and you. life and vibes yeah. and all the stuff. Um, I appreciate it. I really do. Yeah. And um, I can't wait to learn how to make some like Yemenite bread from your mom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know that's a hard, I'm, I'm, that's the one thing I'm worried you know when they get old and pass away it's like almost I don't want them to take their recipe with them but the recipe is almost in their heart you know it's like she can tell you what to do but it's not going to be the same I know it's no all, of course not it yeah. never is yeah it never is in our restaurant most of our spices are from Israel you know I, I, when every time I go I bring suitcase full of spices so the taste have a different taste a little bit yeah, you should definitely. come and try it. I would love to yeah. and I can't wait. Yeah. Um so thanks again. Yeah, thank you.